Blog Talk Radio. Block Talk Radio Nation. It is Sunday night, and you are tuned into Upon Further Review. I am LeVar, and flying solo this Sunday night, my favorite redhead, Katie, is a little bit under the weather, so she is off. Hopefully she'll join us next week, so get soon, get well soon, Katie. Um, and a reminder for all of you, you can catch us on Twitter at NewsCommentBTR or on our official webpage powered by Wix at NewsCommentBTR.Wix.com. Dot com forward slash fan page, and um, on the front of that page uh, is a little bit of a teaser. Uh, coming September 3rd, you will have it the best of both worlds here in the News and Comment Network here on Blog Talk Radio. More details to come. And as a programming note, this week on the 19th, uh, Sarah J will join me, uh, adult star Sarah J will join me on the 401 Lounge. It'll be her second go around in the show. Has a little bit of a sports tie-in, so that's why I'm kind of mentioning it tonight. Um, <laughs> actually, Sarah uh, and Angelina Castro, who is also a fellow performer, uh, kind of uh, rankled the feathers of the NBA uh, with a promotion that they're going to be doing uh, coming up in a couple of weeks in August. Uh, she will be on to talk about that, but that's this uh, week on the 19th at 5.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. And, of course, you can find the latest links on our Twitter page or over on our official web page. But as I said, uh, Katie is not here. So tonight it is just me and you. And if you want to call in, talk about something in the world of sports, you can do so by calling me on our call-in line at 323-580-5600. That's 323-580-5600. I'll say it again one more time, 323-580-5600. So with that, we'll kick things off with the uh, sports update real quick, and I want to kind of go through this day in Major League Baseball. Uh, Starting off first, uh, in New York, uh, the Angels beat the Yankees today 10-8. Both teams combining, now SportsCenter said about seven home runs, Yahoo Sports said about eight. So somewhere in there in the area, I think seven and a half probably was it. But Carlos Villanueva, I'll get that out here, uh, had eight strikeouts as Toronto beat Cleveland three to nothing. It was Washington over Miami four to nothing today. Steven Strasburg, uh, six scoreless innings, and he drove in a run. But kind of an odd thing happened during that game. You know, Ozzy Guillen always, <laughs> Ozzy could never seem to stay out of the limelight in something. But he and Steven Strasburg got into it uh, early in the game in about the fourth inning because Strasburg had a bat. Now, early on, if you look at SportsCenter and you look at the replays, in early at bat, at bat uh, his bat had a little bit of a substance on it, pine tar, but I guess you could have it to a certain point in the bat. But when he came back in the fourth, had a lot more on that bat than he did back in the first. Ozzy didn't like it, complained to the umpire uh, the first time around, and then when Strasburg came back up to bat, 
uh, in the fourth inning, he and Ozzy kind of had some words. So uh, this will be quite interesting if Washington and Miami down the stretch of the season actually uh, things heat up and uh, things stay as they are, and they're battling out there in the East. But uh, Ozzy already starting it with another team in that uh, <laughs> in the NL. It didn't take long. Um, but, yeah, Washington beat Miami 4 to nothing in that one. Justin Verlander shaking off the bad start he had in the All-Star game. Uh, he gave up three hits through eight innings, had eight strikeouts. He retired 16 of the last 17 batters he faced as Detroit beat Baltimore 4 to nothing. Atlanta beat the Mets 6-1. Boston over Tampa Bay 7-3 as Josh Beckett overcame a shaky start to win that one. Milwaukee over Pittsburgh 4-1. to It was the White Sox beating the Kansas City Royals 2-1. to Oakland 9, Minnesota 4. It was the Cubs over Arizona and sweeping that series with a score of 3-1. to one. The Phillies beat the Rockies 5-1, San Francisco over Houston 3-2. to two. And then also in some action today, it was San Diego over the Dodgers 7-2. to two. In that game, costly errors by the Dodgers converted to six unearned San Diego runs. They came back in that one literally after the Dodgers pretty much gave away last night's game. Texas over Seattle 4 to nothing. Matt Harrison, if you got him in your fantasy league, you actually were lucky this year. He had eight straight uh, gave him, uh, eight, eight strikeouts through a five-hitter, and now he is tied for first in wins with 12-4 and four, uh, on the year for Texas, so a bright spot for them. And in the Sunday night game, finally a uh, Sunday night game in which I don't see Yankees or Red Sox. It was Cincinnati beating St. Louis 4-2. You know, I, I kid. I mean, I don't kid about that too much. But kind of get tired of seeing always like a Yankees or Red Sox Sunday night game. It's about time we actually saw some NL action. Maybe even some Midwest action. Not too bad on that one. Casey Kane winning the Sprint Cup Series at New Hampshire. He wins that one. Denny Hamlin finished in second. Clint Boyer in third. In golf, it was uh, Zach Johnson winning the John Deere Classic. He wins that one in a playoff over Troy Matson. Uh, Scott Piercy finishing in third, and also uh, uh, Steve Stricker for fifth. John Snetton came in fourth. In soccer action, no games today. Men's tennis, you know, I'm just going to go by the last names here. Salif beat Grenollers in the ATP Studina Croatia Open. That was 6-4-6-2. And in that same, uh, on another uh, WTA tour, it was uh, Ronnie over uh, Zalovia Strakovia, 6-1-6-3. But also there was one of note here. Uh, the Tour Bank of the West Classic today, Serena Williams beat Coco Vandeweghe, 7-5-6-3, and that one's to Serena, also on a roll here in tennis action, and she heads into the Olympics here in a couple of weeks. And for those of you that don't know, the Olympics are now 11 days away, and next weekend on Sunday night, we will try to have an Olympic preview for you. I'll go through a couple of things today, some things to watch out for, but the Olympics of course, runs July 27th through August 12th in London this year. should be a lot of fun. Um, of course, I uh, read an article on some interesting things about uh, which sports the Americans have never won in. And, of course, I think it's some that really aren't big sports here. I think uh, one of them was badminton. Another one was table tennis. Of course, sports that aren't really big in America, and they have kind of like their novelty players who are actually playing that. But a lot of other good things coming up. I know opening day, it's already like archery. So, um you know, it's always interesting to watch uh, with the Olympics. And that will pretty much do it for the uh, update desk. But I want to go into a couple of things here that have uh, developed over the last couple of days. And like I said, if you want to join in on the conversation, you can call me at 323-580-5600. We've got about 20-some minutes left of the program. But uh, 
wanted to talk tonight. Uh, of course, the free report came out this week regarding Penn State's actions towards Jerry Sandusky and uh, did not shed a good light on the president of Penn State, nor did it on Joe Paterno. And I guess the question at this point is that a lot of things now I know with Nike, they have a Joe Paterno Child Center uh, in Oregon as well as, uh, you know, with the statue of Joe Paterno at Penn State, a lot of questions have come this week on whether uh, that should be taken down or renamed. And should the NCAA give Penn State the death penalty? Of course, it's a serious offense, but, you know, in years past, teams like SMU uh, and a couple other teams have had the death penalty for uh recruiting infractions and paying players and so forth, but where does it actually lie in something that does not have to do with football? Very interesting note, and I thought about this in the last few weeks, and I know when uh, Joe Paterno died back in January, one of the first things we said was, let's wait until it comes out. Uh, Of course, with the free report, it's very damning evidence uh, about a lot of people who dropped the ball when these kids who were being abused needed it the most. And a lot of people are also directing their ire uh, towards Joe Paterno. And I'm going to tell you tonight that whether or not you are still a fan of Joe Paterno or whether or not you want that to be or his statue or pretty much the whole history of him at Penn State to be erased, that's going to be pretty hard to do. You just can't erase someone who has been there or had been there almost 60 years. And it's sad that, you know, in his 60-year tenure that it took a few months or a year of something such as this to tarnish a legacy. But when you don't do the right thing, let that be a lesson to each and every one of you. And I'm not one to say what Penn State should do, but I am one to say that if you do want to uphold some part of that legacy, if you do want to not just pull the statue right away, to leave it there in itself, pretty much is a reminder to the victims of what happened. Now, I'm not saying that Joe Paterno did anything. He did. It was Jerry Sandusky, and we have to remember that. But if Joe Paterno knew about all of this, and like I said, reports are reports. We don't know really what went on behind closed doors, but this report's pretty damning. But if that is true, and that is the case, to leave that statue out there hurts the victims because it is a reminder of what happened and of someone who could have helped and did not help. And at this point, I think I know you know where I'm going, and I'm going to say at this point that it is probably best that Penn State removes the statue. If you are going to leave it on the campus or somewhere, I think right now it is probably best that if you put it, say, maybe somewhere in near the locker room area, uh, out of public view, out of public eyes, or take it and put it somewhere within a part of the stadium or a Hall of Fame or an exhibition or somewhere. But right now, I think to leave that statue out there uh, is kind of a hurtful reminder for the people that have gone through so much. Uh, You can't really erase the history. His history with that school is as much as a history as uh, Stagg in Illinois or uh, Bear Bryant uh, or, uh, you know, with a lot of coaches who were at their schools for many years. You just can't forget it because it's still all so fresh. Yes, we know that. But you pretty much have to start to get towards something better. 
I guess, you know, in their own way, they said, hey, we're going to redo the bathroom stalls. I mean, that's fine and all, but the people who go there are players mostly. We're not going to really remember that. The only people who's going to erase that is you. You can erase all the bathroom stalls you want to, but to leave the statue still out there brings back a lot of hurt memories. And I read a pretty interesting article that there are a few reasons why the NCAA is probably not going to punish them effectively. Uh, one of the points was that it was probably strictly arbitrary that this uh, – uh, occurred and that there is no rule in the NCAA rule books about uh, football coaches who do a terrible act such as Jared said Dusty did. Uh, the NCAA has a history of enforcing that in a very arbitrary way, and they failed to be effective. And they need to start putting rules in there such as that. Uh, they may not see it as a sports issue. Now, it's a strange spot that they're in, uh, it wasn't about football and student-athletes, but he was employed as a coach, and the cover-up was intended to avoid embarrassment for the program, but how could the NCAA, when they don't have anything in place, actually put a rule to that? And, then, of course, we all know that the NCAA has a history of weakness. Uh, they may, uh, you know, you go back and you think about what they've done to schools such as Stanford or Auburn or Miami or Ohio State, and they know that to have those schools still around doing what they do is money. You know, back in the day when SMU did what it did, SMU was pretty much one of those small schools where if you got rid of them, the NCAA pretty much wasn't going to care. But you will never really see them do something to a large school, and the fact that they would actually do something to one of its largest and most well-known institutions, yes, Penn State's well-known, you know, how do you actually handle that? And I don't know how they could actually do that, which is why I don't think that the NCAA will really ever do anything that's going to be helpful. But enough about that. Hopefully we will never have to talk about this again until uh, Mr. Sandusky is uh, punished for his actions. Also, guys, uh, one of the things we talked about last week, and that is regarding the NBA, and right now they've got some problems up there. Uh, right now, you have an issue now where coming up, as I said, on a few days, you have the Olympics. But there's already some issues with men's basketball, and that being injuries. You know, now some of the injuries, like I said, to Wade and to Bosch and like the other people, that happened before the Olympics. But right now, you've had some issues where the young folks, like Blake Griffin and now recently Kyrie Irving, are now getting injured. In the summer, now we could say, hey, it could have happened at any time, but it's happening during the Olympics. And this week, there's been a lot of people saying that should the NBA consider using a tier system? Now, I know this gets bad, but, you know, like not using your star players per se, but maybe perhaps using uh, players, uh, I think there was a proposed rule of using players under 23. But when you look back at it, Griffin and Irving, they're both under 23, and they're star players. And now they're gone. The only lucky thing here is that both were expected to be back before the opening of the season, but that brings to mind this. Do you want to risk having, say, a Kevin Durant or even if it were Derrick Rose or someone else, the face of your young NBA go down in an injury, in an exhibition? Now, I know that you know, to play for the Olympics is an honor, and I'm all for that, and I agree with that. 
But do you want to risk it for something like the Olympics? It's kind of like the World Baseball Classic. Remember when they held that? Do they still hold that? Is it really at a risk to put your players in something that doesn't count for anything in the long run? Now, I'm, like I said, I'm not meaning it doesn't count. It does count because there's a lot of pride in the line and national pride. But should we go back to everyone using amateur players for the Olympics, keeping it on an even level? Because if we can't use our professional athletes, why should everybody else? Should it go back to that? And I'll leave that question open. I know last week we talked about it, but uh, I don't know. I'm at a point now where if I'm a Chicago Bulls fan and say Derek Bros went out there and uh, he hurt his knee in that game, I'm going to be the first one saying, I think it's time we go back to amateur players. And I'm pretty much at that point now where I think I'm going to uh, say that that's pretty much probably the best part at this point in juncture, in time. One of the other things uh, we were talking about uh, in the last week, and I'm kind of uh, holding off here for the major story because all of us have heard about it this week, but uh, a couple of things on NFL news. Drew Brees' deal, uh, in the closing stages of being done, five years, $100 million, and there's word out of Chicago that Chicago Bears running back Matt Forte's deal will be done soon. When these deals get done like that, and there's been a lot of talk back and forth, there's been a lot of heartache. Who actually wins in those deals? And does long, drawn-out contract negotiations leave a bad taste in the player's mouth? I'm going to think probably no, because at the end of the day, when you're getting paid hundreds of millions of dollars, I think that pretty much is a not good I'm sorry gift. But as we said, it still kind of lingers in there, because you're like, hey, well, this all could have been done months ago instead of trying to make me some, you know, uh, franchise player and insulting me, pretty much like a slap in the face. But when that happens, though, you know, you kind of wonder what runs through their mind because you're thinking at that point it's kind of almost like a disrespect. But eventually, uh, I guess they all hug it out. <laughs> Things happen, and then everybody's back to normal. Good for them. They still make their $100 billion. And then, of course, uh, also this week, we are still, I guess, it was a day like 170 or day 1,000 of the Dwight Howard uh, debacle that's <laughs> going on down in Orlando. How did it get to this? You know, um, I can't just be Stan Van Gundy because now he's gone. It has to be something else. Because at that point, I'm thinking if Stan Van Gundy was the issue, don't you think Dwight Howard was staying? Apparently, the new Magic GM met with Howard a few days ago, trying to see if Howard wanted to work things out with the Magic, and his immediate answer without thought was no. So apparently, Dwight wants out. Maybe he thinks that uh, Orlando is never going to get back to where they were at a few years ago and making Eastern Conference Finals or you know, always having to battle Miami and probably not having a chance unless he goes with somebody else that has two other good players. But who's to blame in this whole thing in the long run? Is it Dwight or is it Orlando? Because Dwight's starting to, just my opinion, but Dwight is starting to look like the bad guy in all of this. You look back at the clips the ESPN play of him uh, complaining about not wanting to stay and of leaving. You know, Orlando's been pretty quiet about all of this, and they've tried to uh, do what he's asked to do, but things just aren't working because when you try and trade a player such as Dwight Howard, it gets pretty tough. You know, LeBron James thing was different. He was a free agent at that point. 
Clyde still has a year left. And Dwight doesn't want to play in Orlando, nor does he want to resign with some following teams if he's traded to them. Houston was one of them. And Houston right now looks to be the leader to get him. Do you want to really risk all that to get a player that you're only going to have for a year and not know if he's going to, quote, give his all? I think not. If I'm Houston, I'm probably thinking, I don't even want to have to put up with all that mess. The Lakers, right now in a bind, because they don't know if they want to trade Andrew Bynum. Jerry Buss Jr. is telling Senior there's no way Bynum has more of an upside than Dwight Howard. And the Nets, who pretty much were the main destination where he wanted to go, they're pretty much all but pulled out saying, you know what, we've had enough. They're like the poker player who pretty much put in their cards and said, you know what, we're done. I'm out. Because it's become such of a headache. So now the question is, do we start the season with Dwight and Orlando? If that happens, it's going to be a very, very interesting turn of events. Does he even show? Will you rather get fined each day and then not show up at all? Does he show up even at training camp? Does he show up for exhibition? Does he show up for the regular season? If they're not able to work something out, he's still under contract. But that puts Dwight against the wall because then you start to look bad because if you can't get traded and you're stuck with the one that you're with, do you show a little loyalty? Do you try to showcase yourself so other teams try to hurry up and make a package deal for you? It's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Dwight in the coming months. Of course, we'll always have an eye out for you, and you can check it on Twitter, at BTR. Small plug. Also tonight of note, the Knicks likely to pass up on Jeremy Lin after he signed a three-year, uh, $25 million offer sheet with the Houston Rockets, a deal <laughs> which Carmelo Anthony called a ridiculous contract. I don't think Carmelo held back on his uh, feelings on that one, do you? And uh, when Sammy now ending it's run in New York, but isn't it kind of ironic is that Houston was the ones who had him and then released him, and now they're going to have to pay him more for the contract. One week source saying that the highly doubtful that the Knicks match that offer sheet. And uh, the New York Knicks reached an agreement Saturday on the sign-and-trade deal with the Portland Trailblazers to acquire point guard Raymond Felton. And on top of that, you know, they've already signed Jason Kidd. And uh, I do believe they have, uh, uh, you know, him and Felton, and they've got uh, a couple other things working out there. And when he gets down to uh, luxury tax penalties, it's not even worth it in the next run to sign him, only because of, you know, the money that they're now going to owe. Uh, after that third year, I think his contract will be $15 million, and they would owe Carmelo Anthony in the third year twenty four. Million, Omari Stoudemire owe twenty three million. Tyson Chandler they're going to owe fourteen and a half. And then to take on fifty million, I think not. So it looks like Lynn Sanity is now going to Houston, and it is going to be interesting to see what Jeremy Lynn does once he gets down there. I think he will be a valid guard for them. Will he be a guard scoring twenty five a night? No, but he'll be a valid guard for them. And then finally, the one thing this week that everybody has been talking about, and it's been <laughs> Kobe Bryant uh, kind of opening his mouth a little bit. And then he kind of backtracked, if you noticed that. Kobe saying that the 2012 Dream Team could beat the 92 Dream Team. And that's how he put it. 
And it started off a storm of controversy. Everybody from Charles Barkley to Scotty Pippen to Michael Jordan to Magic to Bird, everybody's hiding in saying, no way. What are you smoking, Kobe? I think the wonderful folks at Block Talk Radio don't like me to keep cutting me off a few minutes ago. But anyway, or Kobe Bryant. But anyway, there is no way in heck that the 2012 Dream Team could beat the 92 Dream Team. And I'm with Michael when I say that Kobe, with your team there, has 11 Hall of Famers, 23 titles, then you can come back and talk. It would be close. Now I'll give Kobe this. It was close, only because of the talent. But then everybody keeps going with the technicalities. Well, that team was on its last legs. Well, they couldn't, of course, do it now. They were in their 50s. But I would say, give me a 92 Dream Team in their prime against a 2012 Dream Team. I pretty much think that that's going to be 92 all the way. I don't see, I don't see 2012 doing really well. I just don't. There's no way. And I think only because now, uh, it, it, after LeBron and after Kobe and after Kevin Durant, you got a lot of question marks. A lot of these guys now, they live and die by the long-range shot. They're not like the guys of old where they went in and they actually scored and they had a versatility about them. And I think that after LeBron and Kobe, it kind of falls off a little from there. Now, in international play, of course, 2012 is going to be better, and it's going to be all right. But as for everything else, I think Kobe's pretty much off his rocker a little bit when it comes to uh, 2012 being better than 92. Nothing ever beats the original. I'd be a little interested to see what my co-host would have to say about that. Uh, But unfortunately, we'll have to ask her uh, sometime next week uh, when she returns. But... uh, what do you guys think about that? Let us know. And of course, you can always let us know by going to our official website at uh, newscommentptr.wix.com forward slash fan page. I'll be interested to see what all of you kind of think about that. Uh, real quick, if you are wrestling fans, I'm going to do you a service tonight. And I'm actually going to uh, tell you uh, about money in the bank because I'm just finding out some of this stuff myself. But... Um, Money in the Bank winners tonight. Dolph Ziggler winning the Money in the Bank ladder match. Uh, the World Heavyweight title saw Sheamus retaining over Alberto Del Rio. But then afterwards, uh, Sheamus got attacked. And Dolph Ziggler tried to cash in, but he kind of got KO'd by Sheamus. And uh, he still retained his case. Nothing happened. Primo and Ipico defeated uh, Titus O'Neil and Darren Young. CM Punk beat Daniel Bryan. Ryback. <laughs> or Goldberg, as I like to call him, beat Tyler Rex and uh, Kurt Hawkins. And then in a Divas match, Layla, uh, Caitlin, and Tamia beat Beth Phoenix, uh, Natalia, and Eve. And then, of course, the main ladder match, which saw the return of The Miz, uh, sees John Cena winning that one. So nobody cashed in tonight. It's going to be interesting heading into the next couple of weeks. Tomorrow night you have the 999th Raw, and then next Monday you've got the 1,000th Raw, which is going to be pretty big. Uh, so if you're a wrestling fan, you actually get a rare update there for Money in the Bank. So uh, hopefully we didn't give away too much stuff there. But with that, clock on the wall is telling us that our time is up. And for my co-host Katie, I am LeVar. Thanks so much for tuning in this week, everyone. 
Of course, I will see you on Thursday for the 401 Lounge and then on Friday for the cutting room floor at a special time this week, uh, 10 p.m. Central Standard Time on Friday. Make sure to tune into that one. We'll call that one the uh, cutting room And then we'll be back here next Sunday night for another Upon Further Review. So until then, I'm LeVar. Thanks so much for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye.